I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. What's up, all you anti-heroes out there? Doc Askins coming back at you with another Q5 podcast that everybody can't seem to get enough of. I just ask five of my favorite questions to people that I think are cool. And the cool person that I brought on the podcast today is Matt Zeman, MSC. He's the author of the best-selling book, Psychedelics for Everyone, a beginner's guide to these powerful medicines for anxiety, depression, addiction, PTSD, and expanding consciousness, as well as the author of Beyond the Trip, a journal for psychedelic preparation and integration. With a master's degree from King's College London, he has studied the effects of psychedelics on the mind and the potential for these experiences to serve as a catalyst for positive transformations. A dedicated explorer of the inner world and a passionate advocate for the safe and sacred use of psychedelics, Matt serves as the executive director of Sacred Path Community. Matt, it's awesome to have you on the podcast today. Doc, it's great to be here. I appreciate you making time for me. Yeah. Well, let's get rocking and rolling. What's your story? You know, it's funny. I was uh, in thinking about having this conversation with you, Doc. I was thinking about your book, which I loved, by the way. Just absolutely oh, amazing. Oh, one of the three and a half people that have read the book so far. That's exciting. Right. <laughs> cover to cover, <laughs> took notes. I thought it was awesome. Thanks, brother. And I appreciate that. Point, yeah, yeah. And at one point in that book, you talk about um, the witch doctor succeeds for the same reason all the rest of us succeed. We're at our best when you give the doctor who resides within each patient a chance to work. I didn't know any of this <laughs> back when I first started uh, psychedelics. Yeah. I didn't yeah, know yeah. what these, I didn't know what psychedelics really were. I didn't know what psilocybin was or why I'd be interested. And I found it by accident. So I had some friends invited me, a guided psilocybin journey. And in that first kind of six, seven hours, I, it just completely changed the way I look at the world. The medicine had a chance to do what it needed to do inside of me. It reconnected me with my mom, who had died when I was uh, 22. She was 49. I had kind of a insight and insight over. I felt. Uh, let me give it try this way. I felt so safe and loved during that first experience, and then realized, oh my god, I don't feel safe and loved in my everyday life. And what is going on with how I'm living my life that I'm that I don't feel that way? I was scared of dying, and I realized that was my mom's story, not mine. And I just wanted to learn more and more about what these medicines were and how they could work. And that led me to going back to school. It led me to traveling around with different practitioners, experiencing lots of different compounds. And that led to really getting involved in the, the safe and sacred path where 
working with medical doctors about how do you incorporate ceremony into your practice and working with spiritual leaders on how do you take some of the medical best practices that are out there and incorporate those in, into your practices to help reduce the risk. Yeah. That's a lot of incorporation. Wow. It's a lot of incorporation. It is needed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me a bit more of, of your story that you know, beyond the psychedelics and the, the grief healing there, you know, King's College, how was that? I loved, I loved, um, I, I hadn't taken a science class in like 30 years. So my kids were making fun of me and, and, and I was doing like a, oh, I can't even think what it's called anymore. Whereas like the vocabulary tests, quizlets and different things online. Yeah, quizlets. Just, <laughs> and, and my wife had to teach me how to do Cornell notes because I just, I just was out of practice. But, um, but yeah, I really had dove in and, uh, and enjoyed it. My goal with it was to like, how do I read a scientific paper? I just didn't, I didn't know how to do it. It'll damage so your brain was, for a while. The science, like I, I did seminary and got a master of divinity degree, which is all literature stuff. And then I went to PA school, which was all science stuff. And it felt like somebody like severed my corpus callosum and I couldn't get the left <laughs> half of my brain to talk to the right half of my brain. When I came out of PA school, I was just fucked up. Yeah. So it's nice to hear that I'm not the only one who struggled as like an adult going back to try to study science stuff. Yeah, it was definitely a definitely a learning curve, a steep learning curve. But I'm super grateful for that that I did it. Even if now I'm I'm definitely more in the uh, the spiritual camp, the the groups practicing under religious freedom versus medical. I, I love being able to stay current on the papers, and I love being able to talk with like the the medical professionals who do intakes and talk to them about why do you think this person's what's the contraindication or what's the what's the challenge or what does the latest research say for this specific case and someone choosing to uh define their way to psychedelics or not so i'm just grateful for that but yeah the story before that was all kind of businessman stuff building businesses married couple kids and just not fulfilled in that space and all of that again all of it really took a radical turn with that first that first experience yeah that's amazing. Well, I don't think I've had anybody on the podcast yet that's really talked much about the religious freedom space around some of these sorts of things. How comfortable would you be just expanding a little bit about if that's the, you know, that's firmly where you're planted at this point is in the religious freedom space, but doing the scientific reading. I'd love to hear your perspective on some of that stuff. Uh, Doc, and I talk a lot about in the old days, there was just a healer and the healer is both a medical doctor and a spiritual healer. And in Western society, we've really separated those roles where doctors are pure science and spiritual is all spiritual. And I think it's totally fair when you play with psychedelics, when you work with psychedelics, they have a foot in both worlds. And I totally think it's fair to say, okay, well, if we gave psychedelics only to the clergy, they don't have the latest information on our brain and bodies to keep us safe. Fair enough. And conversely, if we give it only to the doctors, they don't for the most part, spend enough time in the spiritual realm to really help me optimize this experience and, and for my learning, healing, and growing. So I think we have an opportunity for a reconciliation between these two worlds. And part of that is just also bringing this up out of ground. It's been so much is has been underground. We, we haven't been able to, to talk candidly about what are we seeing, what is happening, and what can we do to reduce risk and, and enhance experience. And I think both sides have a have an opportunity and an obligation here towards that. But it's exciting, 200-some psychedelic churches in America as of now. Oh, really? Wow. They, yeah, every bit, every bit. 
I had no idea. That's awesome. The challenge, Doc, is that like only three of them have what's called a DEA exemption. There's a Native American church and two ayahuasca churches that had to sue and sue and sue to get it. The rest were all kind of waiting for the DEA to change the exemption process so that we can apply and get permission and, and work with them on the things they're concerned about and, 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 and again, be able to practice under the freedom of religion that the country was founded in. Yeah, yeah, the RFRA. Yeah, shout out real quick to Elder James Mooney from the Native American Church. I connected with him on LinkedIn and we're figuring out some ways to maybe, you know, maybe I'll get him on the podcast here or something eventually and try to support the Native American Church. I think there's you know, a beautiful tradition there that was almost lost in America. And I'm really glad that we have the opportunity to try to recover some of those sorts of things and that you're in the middle of that. Maybe you can point me in the right direction and maybe I can try to stitch back together my corpus callosum a little bit further around some of this sort of stuff. Yeah, that'd be exciting to me for sure. You know, it's interesting you say that. I'm just going to stick with that for just a moment because we talk, we all think about, many of us who are, again, born here in the States, we've heard about Native Americans and peyote. Maybe we heard about the indigenous cultures of Central and South America, the Mayans, the Aztecs, the use of ayahuasca with indigenous people. But we don't often hear about the tribes in Africa that were using psilocybin or iboga. We don't hear about the shaman in Siberia. We don't make the connection of the witches that were burned in Europe that many of them were practicing with psychedelics. In Salem. In Salem. And that what happens when we don't make those connections is we put psychedelics in the other category. This is somebody else's lineage. This is their thing. And I would argue that Maybe we can look at even the in the immortality key with with the first four hundred the theory of the first four hundred years of Christianity spread yeah, yeah. of psychedelics. All Elysium. of us, yeah, yep. All of us have a psychedelic lineage, and even if the uh, the church and state try to suppress it, it has continued on just quietly. And I think we're entering a time where all of us are looking. We we have loneliness challenges. We have an increase in depression and anxiety. We have a decrease in life expectancy. People are leaving churches and droves. We're looking at the, we're we're prescribing drugs to kids and adults in just kind of numbing symptoms, and we're looking for something else. And these psychedelic medicines, when used in a, again, spiritual, intentional process, can, can do a lot of really positive things for a person. Yeah, it's my understanding if you look at DNA analysis that we have more in common with fungus than we do with plants, that it was probably about six million years ago that the mushrooms sent people out on some sort of mission or <laughs> whatever the cosmic explanation is for how, you know, speciation took place that far back or whatever. But they got serotonin and we got serotonin at the very least. I don't know what they're doing with theirs, but we're kind of fiddling around with it, trying to fix it in people's heads and, you know, success rates, prices and participation may vary. See store for details, like I say in the book, right? <laughs> I love that in the book. And I love the piece in the book where you talk about stories on top of stories. And for me, almost every journey, it's unpacking what are those stories. So when we talk about psilocybin as a tool to kind of go deep within and, and really examine yourself, it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't done it that can mean at the molecular level. <laughs> you can start again and you can start, okay, then this happened. And then I built this story. The moment I was born, this story, and then this story, and then this story. 
Yeah. And then how do those stories create our lives and guide our lives and f- make our decisions and, and our reactions and, and on and on. It's, uh, again, fascinating. I can't, I, I'm going to keep going back. I love what you did in this book with that. I think you, you covered some really great concepts. Yeah. I appreciate that. The whole, the whole idea with the book was just tell my own story as if it was a psychedelic assisted therapy session or whatever. And, you know, we'll see. Like the, the big idea is there's lots of people who are afraid of a bad trip or afraid of doing something illegal. Okay. Well, here's a book. A book's not illegal usually most places, and it's not going to give you a bad trip necessarily, depending on, you know, how seriously you take reading it. Right. But, uh, here's the kind of the gateway, the introductory level. Like if you, you know, want to see what it would be like to be in that headspace for a little while. Here's my version of that or whatever. Right. And we'll see if people take an interest or not, but I appreciate yeah, that. But, and uh, you, tell, you, and you tell your story and you tell everybody's story in the book. I mean, over and over the, 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 the because all money is monopoly money. This is just a game. <laughs> I mean, you, you have yeah. your origin stories. Well, it's unique to you. There's, there's a lot of crossover. The thing about them, was it whatever age you were when you decided to be someone you stayed that age ever since those are these are ever yes they're yours and they're mine and they're anybody else who chooses to dive into this man you're gonna make me cry listen (laughs) (laughs) i truly i really did love it it it, it caught me completely off guard i just didn't know what to expect from it and and it was like nothing else i've ever read That's the byline on it. I got a three-star general to read it. So I, I say, like, I got a five-star review from a three-star general. It's the only eight-star review that's legit in the history of the world. And he was like, this is unlike anything I've ever read before. And you know how many books you got to read to be a three-star general in the first place? It's ridiculous, right? He bought copies for his whole family and was like, we're going to talk about this. We're going to have like a study group or something. And I was like, He's awesome. General, uh, retired Lieutenant General Martin R. Steele is just one of the most amazing humans it's ever been my privilege to cross paths with. And I hope I get the opportunity to talk to him some more as things go on. But yeah, he's just a great man. I'd vote for him for president in a heartbeat. Absolutely. Is he going to do it? Can you get him to, can you get him to jump in? I don't know. Like he's, uh, maybe the next time I talk to him, I could talk him into it. I, t- I all I talked him into doing was reading the book last time, but maybe <laughs> we'll see. Maybe next time. Yeah. He's an awesome person though. Yeah. I love that. Okay. And I imagine so anyway, he's busy. So I'm supposed to be interviewing you. You're doing some kind of like Jedi mind <laughs> trick here and uh, like flipping the tables on me or whatever, but appreciate everything that all the kind words that you had to say there. But let's stay on, on topic to some degree. I'm, I mean, I'm having fun here. Like we can do the five questions if you want to, or if you just want to keep talking about, you know, like tell, happy to do tell everybody about fun. your book, give like your bottom line up front on how awesome your books are and why, you know, everybody should be reading them. Like what's the elevator speech and then let's double click on it. All right. You got two different books. Psychedelics for everyone is kind of your overview of, of what are psychedelics. So it starts with some personal stories. It moves into just a general overview of kind of what are these medicines? How are they used? And then it, then I brought in experts to do compound by compound. What is the research saying? What are the things you should be aware of? What are the risks? And then on top of those experts, we brought in medical experts to review their work for accuracy. So my goal with this is that someone doesn't have to go get a science degree. They can understand what is out there. How does it work? What should they be concerned of? And while the book is called Psychedelics for Everyone, I by no means mean everyone should take a psychedelic. But what I do believe is these are good for society. So whether it's for you, for somebody you love, or maybe just changes the way you vote in the next election, 
this psychedelics are for everyone. So that that's that's book number one. And then beyond yeah, the uh, can track, I inter, can I interject yeah, on yeah, that please. one? Because I haven't read Absolutely. the other book, but I read that one. Full disclosure, a couple months ago, and I'm a speed reader, so I read it really fast, <laughs> and I loved it. Like I didn't learn a ton from it because the science kind of is my thing or whatever. But I was like, I'm going to recommend this to a ton of people who don't know anything about this as like their gateway, like instead of a gateway experience reading a book, but a gateway educational book. I think it's phenomenal. Phenomenal, and a ton of people should pick it up and read it. Absolutely, I appreciate that. That's truly the goal. And 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 even with people who they might not be interested in every compound, but the ones that they're that's calling them, just dive into that. If you're thinking about legal ketamine, focus on the legal ketamine chapter. If you're thinking about going to do an ayahuasca journey, just jump into the ayahuasca chapter. Yeah. So um, it's like yeah. an intro encyclopedia, but not boring like an encyclopedia. <laughs> I appreciate that. That's the goal. With the references, though, if you do want to get geeky and 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 reference out, you can you can do that because it's uh, yeah, there's a big pain in the butt to put all those references in there, but they are there. So <laughs> the work uh, is there done for those who would like him. Nice. And then the other book is for if you found your way to medicine already. This book is for preparation and integration. So the idea is before you go into your psychedelic journey, and this is the same whether it's, it's again, there's really no distinction between how do you prepare for a legal psychedelic journey using ketamine or a, or a clinical trial, or how do you prepare for an underground or ceremonial. So it's, it's about what do you have clear intentions? Have you gathered your resources? Do you know who and what is out there that supports you? Then there's a journey tracker where you quickly, right after your medicine experience, you document what happened. You just try to get it down on paper. And then it takes you through four weeks of homework with a different set of prompts every week to help you unpack the experience. And then during those four weeks, when our brains are most plastic, it throws in a 30-day gratitude journal, which just helps reprogram our brain a bit for the uh, for the positive and kind of fight that hardwired negative that... Uh, that we're, we're raised with. I think it's a great tool and we use it for our ceremonies and other people kind of that's, you can buy it individually on Amazon or you can buy it by the case through my website. Nice. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of utility between those two covers. Like you've got a lot of, the first book is jam packed with information and then there's a whole bunch of ways to put that into practice in the second book. It sounds like. Absolutely. And, and, and I think, um, it's funny, and I'm going to stick with ketamine for a minute. It's just funny in our country that legal, there's, I did, again, I didn't know any of this. So when you talk about legal ketamine, what's legal? Well, it's legal to go into a clinic and be greeted by a nurse anesthesiologist who's well-trained, and they will take your vitals, and they'll put an IV in your arm, and they'll give you a ketamine experience, and then you'll rest, and they'll send you home. Totally legal experience. Is that experience as good as the ketamine clinic that starts with preparation, and what's your intention and why are you here? Let's talk about this. And, and really, do you really understand what you, where you can go in these non-ordinary states of consciousness? And then they take you into a room where there's more of a living room feel with a weighted blanket and some music and something to guide you through your journey. And then afterwards, where they have the tools and the people to help you unpack your, your ceremony. Both are legal philosophical differences and it's up to us as consumers to to know what we're getting and then to either supplement it or live with the difference but i don't think it's talked it's it's just not talked enough about because there's there's a group of people who believe this is just a biochemical reaction no different than any other drug that you put in your body and there's others of us who believe uh-uh this is a biochemical psychosocial spiritual process the, the psychedelic just being one piece. It's not a cure, it's a catalyst. And it's just a different philosophy. 
Yeah, the the philosophy being instead of taking a daily antidepressant, I could take like a weekly or a monthly antidepressant, but it's still just sort of the, you know, medicine for problem model rather than that holistic therapeutic approach is certainly how we do things in the clinics where I partner with other clinicians. And I'm not a therapist, I'm a physician assistant, but the way that we, I do have certificates from MAPS to do MDMA assisted therapy someday if slash when it gets legalized, right? But like anybody that I see in my clinic has to be by referral only, has to be in therapy already, is already doing the work. And we're just augmenting that to some degree with ketamine and providing, you know, a safe way of supporting that as a medical professional. And then they go back and they do their own therapy with their own therapist around integration. Like I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be, you know, a social worker or an MFT or a psychologist or anything like that. I'm good at that, you know, narrow range of things. And I think that's the way forward is, you know, therapy first, therapy throughout, therapy afterwards until, you know, you feel pretty good. And then maybe you do therapy a little less often. And then maybe you graduate <laughs> and you start doing some like performance psychology, which is all the same tools, but it's just oriented towards somebody who's, you know, having a good chapter rather than getting their ass kicked in a chapter, you know? And there's just this, you know, the same tools in different ways oriented in different directions is I think what you're describing there. I think that's the future though, is like holistic care rather than just, you know, pay to play care. Absolutely. And, and and I think people are are confused sometimes with when it's psychedelic therapy that it's, okay, am I going to take the psychedelic and actually do talk therapy during that right. process? Yeah. I was just having that conversation like. with someone this morning as a, you know, answering questions for a client like, so how much am I going to talk? Probably not at all. <laughs> Maybe not for the rest of the day. You're going to need to talk to somebody the next day, you know? Yeah. And that's perfect. And And we just... Yeah, it's, I mean, again, it's about where you have an inner wisdom. This medicine is about remembering what that inner wisdom is and pulling it up and letting yourself process. Yeah. Again, there are people who believe differently. There are people who use some psychedelics as a, as a loosener of conversation and so that you do engage. But for the most part, these are, these are personal journeys within to unpack whatever it is that you want to unpack. Turn off shame, blame, and guilt, lift up the anxiety, and see what's in there. Yeah. Are you willing to expand it all on your own, you know, personal experiences in those regard? You'd mentioned, you know, the significance of some of the healing around, you know, the loss of your mother, at least. What, you know, oh, what so, are you willing yeah. to share in that regard? As much as, much as you want, Doc. It's a, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the story I wrote about my book that, Again, even to this day, I'm like, hmm, that's interesting that I, that I would, there, so let me back up. When I was a young teenager, I had some inappropriate sexual contact with a family member 10 years older. And that was really, really um, embarrassing and hard. I didn't know how to process it and just something I tucked away. I didn't want to, I didn't talk to anybody about it. And in one of these journeys, I did not set my intention of, I want to work on this. That was not the goal. But on one of these journeys, I was right back in that situation. And this is, a, again, something that pre this experience, like I could feel diff different time pits in my stomach and my, my ears getting red and just this, this weight that was with me. But on this experience, I could look at this person and say, okay, she was rejected from her father. She was struggling with substance use challenges. She was not feeling competent. She was not feeling cared for. And I don't didn't have to condone what she did, but I could understand the humanity of it for the first time. Sure. And that 
understanding allowed me to just let it go and recognize I'm, I wasn't the adult in the room. That wasn't my fault. It just was. And it's nothing to be embarrassed about. And in fact, it's probably something as a guy I should talk more about. And I was able to heal it and move on. And that's the kind of, I think when shame, blame, and guilt are turned off and we can just look at different situations as for what they were, that this, this medicine's really, really incredibly powerful for that. I think it's part of why MDMA works so well with, with veterans and people with treatment-resistant post-traumatic stress disorder and also why it works so well with couples, that they can have really deep conversations. Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. Yeah, one of my cohort members in the MAPS MDMA-assisted therapy training. We do a week in person, you know, just watching these intense videos from the clinical trials and doing small group discussions. And it was an amazing experience for me. Every, absolutely everybody there was far more psychedelically experienced than I was and far more therapeutically experienced than I was. And I was like three months back from a deployment to Kosovo, you know, like I was still kind of reeling from a bunch of that stuff. But there was a psychologist that I made friends with there who explained it to me as MDMA is a contracting medicine. It brings things down and you go inward and you're usually contraction would be associated with fear or like traumatic responses. We're going to circle the wagons. We're going to contract down. We're going to make ourselves small. You know, there's some of those PTSD symptoms associated with contraction, but you do some contracting work first to be able to heal around a whole bunch of the sorts of traumas that you've accumulated just walking around on this planet. Everybody gets some level of it, right? And you do enough of that inner work with typically something like MDMA or ketamine, and then you have the opportunity to do something expansive, like what you mm. had with you know, psilocybin as an expansive medicine, as an example, or ibogaine, or you know, any of the classic tryptamine psychedelics, the 5-HT2A agonists are these expansive medicines and that that's what a bad trip is, according to him, is that you get expanded before you've done enough contracting work to build a platform from which to do that. And instead of feeling like you're expanding out into the universe, you just feel like you're being ripped apart. So you need to do a certain amount of interior work before you can have this go to Mars and talk to aliens in the sixth dimension or how, however anybody explains any of that stuff. I don't really know. That's not psilocybin assisted therapy is something I have like zero experience with whatsoever, but I'm very curious about how you even integrate whatever the, the hell is going on with those experiences. So if you, if you'd enlighten me about some of that, that'd be awesome. You know, it's inter It's super interesting what you're saying here. We, in some of the church services that I participate in, there's an arc of journey. So on day one, it's sassafras, MDA, or MDMA, depending on the who the facilitators are, but you get that love for yourself, love for others. We'll call it the contraction that you were just talking about. Day two is typically psilocybin. So now you've practiced. You've practiced with your fellow passengers. You've, you've gotten used to your facilitators. You've gotten used to the musicians. And yeah, and, and I think people are able to go deeper in, with psilocybin expansive they can feel the interconnectedness of all things they can feel that they're not separate and apart from nature but they are nature 
and recognize that as, okay, that's, I can see that. I can understand it. I can feel it. I can know it. And then they can start removing some of the stories that you talked about before. I think you can also see the, uh, the soup you're swimming in. So again, later in your book, you talk about, um, the person who has a, who has a cut on their finger and they wrap it with like a, a mile of gauze and it's like oh but they missed the uh the sucking chest wound i Assess think assessment <laughs> assessmentry yes i think you can see okay we're swimming in a society that has told us some things that might not be true or our parents like we maybe we're we're acting in a way to earn love and and get from our parents who are no longer alive or we're living somebody else's life or we've been told that there's not enough and in these journeys, it's like, wait a minute, no, we're, we're in an abundant world. There is plenty. Um, I don't need to be scared. I am fine. I have been fine. I will be fine. What's your line? Any, anywhere you find suf- suffering, someone is making something out of nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is also uh, something that you can learn in those psilocybin journeys. And then, sorry, the third, arc, the third, third leg of that arc that I like in some services is uh, when people then can, can experience bufo. Or five meo DMT at the oh, end. Of okay, it. yeah, that sounds like a beast. It's a beast, but it's a, uh, it's the only non-duality medicine that I'm that I'm aware of that that we have access to, where there's no subject and object. There is just energy, and there's just you're a part of it, and you can feel this other way of uh, of thinking about the world. That's just again completely different than any other psychedelic. And I think as uh, we talk about your your personal conversation with your sacred. And I think when you take those steps, the the heart opener, the interconnectedness of all things, and then the non-duality, it's kind of a lovely journey for, again, for ceremony. I think therapy is different, but for just true self-exploration, exploring consciousness, it's a nice sequence of events. Yeah. The Journal of Military Psychology published a study back in the spring about it was mostly special forces veterans of one kind or another going down to Mexico to do an ibogaine experience one day and a 5-MeO-DMT experience the other day. And they were looking at, you know, alcoholism as like a study outcome for that. But then I got the chance to bring Matt Wiz Buckley, former Top Gun FA-18 Hornet pilot on the podcast. And he spent like an hour. I guess, I don't know if he was a study participant or not, but it was the same cohort of people that were in the study. And he talked about his Ibogaine experience and his 5-MeO-DMT experience. And it was mind-boggling to me. Like, and he was talking about like maybe doing it again sometime. And I was like, I don't, I don't know, man, that doesn't sound like something I want to do even like one time. But the oneness and the connection and stuff that he felt with Ibogaine, like he felt like he talked to God, like they were friends for like a day or whatever. I mean, that sounds pretty nice. But I guess like, you know, physically was in a lot of pain the whole time that was going on. And then the 5-MeO experience just sounds, you know inexplicable, right? Like that's what I get at a bunch in the book is that there's a ton of things that are mysterious and incomprehensible that maybe we can experience. And even that experience might still be questionable, but it sounds like those medicines more than any others take you into that expansion zone that my friend was telling me about. Do you have experience with any of those meds? So I've not experienced Ibogaine. For me, there is a cardiovascular risk that comes with Ibogaine that's different than any other psychedelic. So by and large, for those listening, psychedelics are physiologically safe, non-addictive, with exceptions. So the Ibogaine is an exception. Now, that being said, if I had a family member with an opioid challenge, I'd find my way to an Ibogaine clinic. I'm not sure if there's anything else as powerful as that particular medicine for 
that particular challenge. Yeah, the Bwiti people in Ghana and West Africa call it the gorilla. It's like you're in the room with a hopefully benevolent gorilla. <laughs> For 20 hours. <laughs> For 20 hours. Like, let's just journey. play with a gorilla and see how you feel after the day ends, you know? That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. So that particular medicine, no. But but things like ayahuasca, which is can I can I interject there. real fast about the cardiotoxicity? Just yeah. because we're we're waiting on a study from Dr. Nolan Williams to be published in the next month or two around using magnesium potentially to stabilize the cardiac myocardium in ibogaine treatment. It might be a way of significantly mitigating risk, but we have to wait and see for all of that stuff to get published, and then there'll still need to be tons more safety and efficacy trials after that, which is some of what we're looking at doing here in my home state, Kentucky, around the Ibogaine initiative there. So if I if I miss the chance to plug that we're trying to do some stuff around Ibogaine to figure out how to make it safer and how to get it out to the folks that do have all those problems with opioid use disorders and other addictions, uh, I would be remiss. But I'm sorry to interrupt you. You were about to... No, and it's, I think it's exciting. Kentucky's looking at this pretty pretty substantial psychedelic research bill, or I guess it's a ballot initiative, isn't it? It's just an allocation of funding by the Opioid Abatement Advisory Commission. So there will be a a vote by the commission to decide whether or not they'll allocate those funds. And then there will be a whole bunch of stuff that I don't understand because I'm not a lawyer about how they decide exactly who's going to run those clinical trials. And I mean, $42 million is a lot of money in like the average person's mind, but it takes way more money than that to run even a single clinical trial. And we're going to have to run multiple clinical trials before Ibogaine would get across the you know FDA approval process but my whole thing is that like we figured out how to get the COVID vaccine done in no time it took 18 billion dollars but if we have the will we can do operation warp speed and we can get stuff done and people have been dying of despair and of opioid use disorder and fentanyl overdoses and relapses and withdrawals for decades now so if we could get the national will behind it we could maybe do an Ibogaine you know FDA operation ludicrous speed like from space balls and go plaid and get this thing across the finish line as fast as humanly possible. It's worth hoping for. I don't really know. You know, like we'll have to see what the actual clinical trial data looks like around safety and efficacy, but I'd like to see it happen lickety split. You and me both. I mean, it, it seems to me that with these medicines that come from indigenous communities in particular, so we can talk about Iboga in the Witi people in Africa. We can talk about ayahuasca and the use in Central and South America. We can talk about the mescaline products all through the through the Americas. Indigenous cultures typically don't use things for thousands of years if they are harmful to its people. Sure. So it is probable that we're, I'm, I'm optimistic on on academia catching up with the that it's been used, and then I'm also hopeful that. When we're, what, 22 veterans a day are, are taking their lives? It appears that it was 44. They were cooking the books for a while or just doing the math poorly, but uh, yeah, some better studies are suggesting a double. That might be the accurate number. Yeah, 44. 44. Yeah. Okay, so that's a big number. And right now we have groups like Heroic Hearts sending people down to or helping veterans find their way to Central and South America. I guess they just did one in Oregon recently, which is exciting. And I know there are veterans who fly to Africa. It's it's just it's 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 amazing to me that we're allowing we're we're forcing more than allowing our people to have to travel out of the country to have ceremonial experiences. It just doesn't seem right. 
Well, and Colorado's leading the way in that regard. Wiz, the you know Top Gun pilot, had just done an event in October where he took some veterans out there, and they had a a five meo DMT experience. You know, like you said about in, indigenous peoples have figured out what's good for their tribe and what's not. Right, like you can pick up the Sonoran Desert toad and maybe go talk to God for a little while, but you pick up one of them little poison arrow frogs with the toxin that they've got on there. Nobody's trying that one. Nobody's messing with any of the little golden arrow guys or whatever. They like people have figured this out thousands of years ago, right? We just have to play by different rules at this particular point in human evolution. And I think we have to be careful. And this is again, so for me, doc, I was a non-drug user. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um, just yeah. it wasn't I didn't I literally did none so I didn't think about it I didn't think about what is a drug I didn't think about how does a drug get developed I didn't think about the difference between coffee and acetaminophen and all these different <laughs> sure. types of drugs that there are sure and I believed what I was told I believe that these drugs are dangerous these drugs are going to fry my brain these drugs are going to they're going to cause addiction and I just wasn't right so now we've got to unpack 50 years of propaganda. And then I think we need to do it in a way that we're careful. So f- again, I'm going back to the medical spiritual. The spiritual didn't stop. There have been ceremonies through this entire prohibition, just like there have been for thousands of years, while different governments and churches have said, no, you can't do this. So for the scientific community to say, well, whoa, 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 we're not going to let religious people do this until we clear it scientifically seems to me to be um seems to be trying to steal the the wisdom that we know i think that's wrong yeah well, I think that's a powerful insight. I see that we're running low on time, and I that makes me it. sad. We'll have to bring you back on for one of those longer ones someday. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You have any final thoughts you want to share with the audience? Again, I can't. I'm going to go back to your book. The, oh, the man. difference between <laughs> one and two is only one, while the difference between zero and one is infinite. Yeah. It's so freaking beautiful. It's so beautiful. Yep. Oh, my God. No, I just, I'm psyched to, again, I've, I've heard a lot about you. I know you've talked to my friend George. You've talked to a bunch of other people yeah, that I know. And shout out to George Monty and George Shannon Monty. Duncan and uh-huh. all the good people. And yeah, Shannon, and all the good yeah, authors yeah. and podcasters out there. Yeah. And I'm excited that you're in Kentucky where there's this, uh, this opportunity for the research in the South to really continue in a different way. We have some work done being done here in Chapel Hill, but it's not a, I don't know. I'm excited about what you have cooking on in Kentucky, and uh, and I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate your book, and I appreciate you keeping these conversations going for those that are interested, that they can tune in and, and hear different thoughts. Well, that's awesome. I'm grateful for your books, and I'm grateful for your time. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. Doc out. <laughs>